I didn't want to tell this story, but I can't help myself because it illustrates the point of this episode so well. I'll keep it brief so it's almost like I'm not telling the story. Someone I know, I'm not saying who, so don't ask me, she accidentally nearly killed her daughter's boyfriend with her pesto. He's adorable and she loves him. Okay, so they were at a family party and she said, oh my gosh, this dip is so good, you have to try some. And that was her fatal mistake. She knew he was allergic to nuts, but for those who haven't had a family member with a true food allergy, they don't understand how vigilant you have to be. Yeah, the pesto had pine nuts in it. And yes, he started vomiting in the front yard, but he was fine. The important part of the story is that the incident raised awareness of this chronic health condition for everyone at the party. My friend now checks packaged foods for nut allergens, even though she doesn't have an allergy. It's just made her aware of how careful a person has to be who has allergies. I have another friend with this same food allergy. Okay, she's not actually a friend, but I feel like we are now. It's Dr. Stephanie Leonard, and she's the director of the Food Allergy Center at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. She was so kind to tell me about the cutting edge work that food allergists across the country are doing to make the world easier for people to navigate who have food allergies. So keep listening. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. I'm that doctor friend you call for practical advice about your kid's health. I mix the science of medicine with the reality of parenting. Everyone knows about epinephrine. You know, the EpiPen, that's one of the brand names. And there are others. Most people know if you have a life-threatening allergy, you have to give epinephrine quickly. It's an injectable. We have pretty good treatments for food allergies, but this means people with food allergies are still caught off guard and they might have a reaction when they don't have immediate access to this medication. You know, Murphy's Law says, if you carry an EpiPen all the time, the only time you will have an allergic reaction and need it is when you're as far away from your epinephrine injectable as possible. Like you're wake surfing near the Hoover Dam and you left your medicine back in Las Vegas, you know, just as an example. Anyway, nobody understands this problem better than Dr. Stephanie Leonard. She's a pediatric allergist and director of the Food Allergy Center at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, and she has a food allergy. So she talked about this back in episode 41, and you may want to go listen to that one about how to treat food allergies if you missed that episode. She explained to me the current challenges and the opportunities for people living with food allergies. We have seen food allergy increase in the past few decades. So now about 8% of children have food allergy. That's one in 13 or two in every classroom. And a lot of these children are growing up into adults and they still have their food allergy. So while we focus on food allergy in children, pretty soon we're gonna to have to start to really consider food allergy in adults as well. While we have some exciting new treatments to try to protect children with food allergy, we don't have a cure yet. So not only are we still trying to improve on those therapies, we also are now trying to prevent food allergy. This is really exciting time right now. Uh, in 2020, we had the first FDA-approved peanut allergy treatment that uh, came out. That kind of treatment is a form of desensitization. So we call it oral immunotherapy. It's where we give you small amounts of your allergen, starting in levels that we don't believe you're going to react to initially, gradually increase it to what we call a maintenance dose. 
And the point is to retrain your immune system to stop reacting to that food. And what we believe that does is it gives you a buffer so that if you were to accidentally eat the food that you're allergic to, let's say peanut, that either you would not have a reaction or if you had a reaction, it would be less severe. So it gives a form of protection. At this time, the point is not to allow you to just eat it, eat the food freely. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But we believe we have temporarily put you into remission of your food allergy. So while you're on the treatment, you're protected. But if you stop the treatment, in most cases, the allergy comes back. Now, what's really exciting in this area is that newer studies in younger children are showing that they're hanging on to that remission longer than in older children. So the question is, if we start really early, uh, the, soon, the, you know, the minute you're diagnosed with a food allergy, if we put you on this treatment, could we more permanently change your immune system and actually cure you? Now, we do see side effects for oral immunotherapy. Most often they're mild, like an itchy mouth or a stomach ache. Every once in a while, we also see anaphylaxis or a systemic reaction to that treatment. So the questions we're asking in research now are, how do we make that treatment more tolerable, safer, more longer lasting? A promising new approach to preventing severe allergic reactions to foods is adding a type of medicine called a biologic alongside this oral immunotherapy. These so-called biologic medications, they're a class of drugs that are made from living organisms that target parts of the immune system to shut them down. One medication under investigation is omalizumab, and Dr. Leonard explains how this one might work. Omalizumab is a medication that binds to the IgE antibody, the allergic antibody, kind of sweeps it all up. And so if you have less of that antibody, then you have less of it available to recognize the food when you eat it and to trigger your allergy cells. There have been studies using omalizumab just alone where they've challenged somebody to what they uh, are allergic to. Uh, let's say milk. They reacted at, let's say, a, a one milliliter of cow's milk. Then they give them the omalizumab, and months later, they rechallenge them, and now they're tolerating 30 milliliters of, of cow's milk just with that medication. Now we add the oral immunotherapy on top of it, and we see that uh, children who have been treated with omalizumab and then put on um, oral immunotherapy have less side effects, can get up to maintenance quicker. So how do we use these other medications now in conjunction with what we've been doing for decades, oral immunotherapy, to make it safer and better? So currently, omalizumab is only available in research, but it is approved for asthma and chronic hives. So the studies that are being done right now are trying to see can we use it for food allergy? Can we get that indication approved? And then the question will be, how do we use it? Who's the best person to use it for? It's an injection. It's not a pill. It's given usually every two weeks or once a month. And there is a minimum age currently uh, for who we could use it for. But we are hoping that we can show that it is vital in food allergy as well. And it could be used, hopefully, in younger children as the, if, the, if the safety and the data looks good. What's really exciting is that there's so many medications in development that are looking at different parts of the pathway in the immune system that causes an allergic reaction. 
So we have so many different targets we can look at. And if you look at the list of clinical trials that are happening right now, there are different parts of that pathway that people are trying to target. And so I envision a point where we have multiple biologics available. And depending on what food allergy you have, how many food allergies you have, what other allergic diseases you have, we can personalize that medication and help protect you from allergic reactions or potentially cure you. Dr. Leonard explained that allergy researchers are using medications that are targeted to specific components of the immune system. And the hope is that this may one day be done in a very individually tailored way. Are we gonna see an era of bespoke medical treatment? Okay, it may be trendy, but the other exciting area that allergy researchers are targeting is another concept, and that is the microbiome. One of the other biggest areas of research is the microbiome. So we have good bacteria in our body, uh, in our gut, on our skin, in our lungs. And when that is dysregulated, when there's an imbalance of, let's say, good bacteria versus bad bacteria, or bacteria that dysregulate our immune system, we, we might see, we see more disease. We may, we may see increased severity of disease. And we may see that uh, children who have a dysregulation in their microbiome are maybe the ones that don't outgrow their food allergy. So how can we use that to prevent food allergy and to help treat food allergy? So in prevention, so here at Rady Children's, we're recruiting for the ADORED study. It's a medication that is a probiotic-like investigational drug. And we are starting within the first two weeks of life, giving it to babies who have a family history of allergic disorder, any allergic disorder. They are going to be on that medication for a year, and then we are going to follow them to see if they develop eczema, food allergy, asthma, or environmental allergies. So the microbiome is, uh, I think, a, kind of like the new hot topic in many disorders and also in food allergy. And it makes sense, right? Because the first part of your immune system that uh, sees a food is in your gut. And that gut is influenced by your microbiome and the good and bacteria in your gut and the dysregulation that may be there. If you remember, episode 17 was about the amazing way that human milk or breast milk builds a child's intestinal microbiome. That's all the microbes that live in your guts and how understanding that may lead to new treatments for autoimmune disease. So I wondered if breastfeeding seems to play a role in developing allergic disease. Do you see a difference in rates of allergies among babies who are breastfed versus bottle fed? Because I know that breast milk does help probably to develop your gut microbiome better than formula does. We don't have any definitive studies mm, okay. that show that. And in fact, when you the newest uh, dietary guidelines for prevention of food allergy states that uh, breastfeeding beyond four months does not seem to have a protective uh, effect for food allergy. We obviously encourage breastfeeding for many other benefits, but we haven't had studies that show that um, it has a protective effect for food allergy. And there may be a lot of confounding factors there. Mm -hmm. So certainly, you know, we encourage it for the first four months, 
But also, the studies aren't very strong of whether or not your child's on formula versus breast milk, even in those first few months. We obviously encourage it, and there are there is some data that shows it is beneficial. But I don't want a family to feel bad or a mother to feel bad if she can't breastfeed and, and needs to feed her baby a formula. It doesn't mean that you are automatically causing your baby to have food allergies. The other paradigm that has changed recently in prevention of food allergy is that introducing allergens early can prevent food allergy. This came from the observation that in Israel, they introduced peanut in the form of bonbons, like a peanut puff, very early on to infants. It's very infant-friendly. And they had less peanut allergy uh, rates in Israel than Israeli children who grew up in the UK. And that was the one difference that researchers thought would make, that potentially could be a cause. So then they did this LEAP study, learning early about peanut allergy, LEAP study in the UK, where they took infants uh, from ages four to 11 months who are at high risk for food allergy. They either had severe eczema or an egg allergy already. And they randomized them to early introduction of peanut, so in infancy, versus avoidance. And then they looked for peanut allergy at age five. And they showed that they could decrease the incidence of peanut allergy by 80%. This was huge. This was a pivotal study. And so now we are, are the official guidelines are because the data exists for egg and peanut, is to introduce egg and peanut between the ages of four and six months for the purpose of preventing egg and peanut allergy. So this is the one tool you have to prevent food allergy in your child. And the guidelines state that you don't have to test them before you do this, but there are some families who are nervous because they have an older child, an older sibling, and if that's the case, start talking early about either coming to see an allergist or talking to the pediatrician about screening them and doing the testing first before you introduce it. But I don't want people to wait for that testing because I don't want you to miss that window of opportunity. We want to get it into the gut first before they're exposed in other ways. And I think that's the easiest way to think of it, even though it's not potentially perfect. And so we're having to undo decades of advice to parents of don't, don't introduce them to that allergen until they're two or three until they're older. That wasn't based on data. So here's an example of where we are admitting that we were wrong. We are now trying to do rigorous research to understand what was wrong and how we could do better. And that's why right now we only have guidelines for egg and, and peanut. Do you have advice for parents who hear about these research studies if they want their child to be enrolled? How can they find one? The one central place you're going to find all the different types of food allergy trials is clinicaltrials.gov. And you can put in food allergy, your, your child's specific uh, allergy, and you can see where, where clinical trials are happening. I learned about the clinical trials that Dr. Leonard is running from one of my patient's parents. This awesome mom, I know she's awesome because her two daughters are just like the sweetest, smartest, cutest humans, but both kids also have food allergies. And this awesome mom is pregnant with her third child, so she wants to do everything she can to prevent her unborn baby from having food allergies. So she told me about the study called Adored that Dr. Leonard is recruiting patients for. But beyond being this awesome, all parents are worried about food allergies when they start their babies on solid foods. Besides worrying about choking and the million other things you can worry about when transitioning from milk, 
Here is the up-to-date information that researchers know about starting solid foods and the -the state-of-the-art treatments for food allergies. In terms of worry about reactions when you're introducing foods for the first time, especially with with our new recommendations to uh, introduce egg and peanut early, is the benefit of preventing a lifelong food allergy. I believe outweighs the risk of an allergic reaction, which in almost all cases can be treated. It is unlikely, very unlikely to have a a severe uh, allergic reaction um, in an infant the first time they eat the food. So when we do oral immunotherapy, let's say we desensitize someone to peanut up to 300 milligrams of peanut protein, which is one peanut. That may not seem a lot, but we assume that that is more than what you would accidentally ingest. So that can protect you from accidental ingestions. That could protect you from potential cross-contamination in that kitchen. It could protect you from the may contain, may in the same equipment, a precautionary labeling on a packaged good. So while one peanut, desensitizing someone to one peanut may not seem like a lot, what it does is let them do this. Okay. Okay, I can go to that restaurant. Okay, I can go to that party. Okay, I can eat this product without worrying if like a teeny little bit got in there and now I'm going to have a reaction. Besides oral immunotherapy, so we also have the patch that's being investigated. So you wear like, it's like a little patch that you wear in the skin. It has like minuscule amounts of peanut protein. And because we have immune system in our skin and it, and it communicates with our like our main immune system, um, we could also retrain the immune system just by that small amount on the skin. And it reduces the side effects, right? You don't, you're not ingesting it. So it doesn't get absorbed. The peanut doesn't get absorbed into your bloodstream, which dramatically reduces the risk for anaphylaxis to the treatment. The second form we have is sublingual. So it's in a solution. Again, lower doses of the allergen underneath the tongue. We have a whole immune system, you know, in our mouth. So it's going directly to the immune system instead of having to go into your stomach, digest, and then the immune system. So you can use smaller amounts to retrain the immune system. Smaller amounts means lesser side effects. I imagine a world where we have different forms of immunotherapy and different biologics. We can personalize that to the patient. Let's say you can't tolerate oral immunotherapy because you're developing inflammation in your gut called eosinophilic esophagitis, which is a risk in oral immunotherapy. Less than 5%, or less than 5 to 10%, we believe, who are on the treatment may develop it. Let's say you can't tolerate oral immunotherapy. We'll give you a patch, maybe a biologic. That is what we as food allergists really imagine the future to, to look like, is that we can personalize the medication because we have different types of immunotherapy, different types of biologics. And we're just trying to find that right combination to turn the remission into a cure. The number of people who have food allergies has drastically increased in the last few decades. But just as rapidly, researchers are finding innovative treatments that not only let people with food allergies breathe a sigh of relief and eat noodles at a roadside stand in Thailand, but also are helping us to unlock the mysteries of the microbiome and our own immune system. Okay, I know that sounds really fancy. So here's what you actually need to know. You can probably help to prevent food allergies by giving your baby a teeny tiny taste of each of the most common allergens when they're between four and six months of age. You can take each of those foods and water them down. So for example, mix peanut butter with water and then give like a drop, a tiny taste. I've called that flavor training in past episodes. Give egg and peanut in some amount three times a week until the age of five. There isn't any data for the remaining allergens like soy, wheat, and sesame, 
You know, sesame is something you can find in hummus if you're not sure how to sneak that into your baby's diet. Anyway, this technique probably does translate to those other common food allergens. All this is to say that pediatricians' advice to offer lots of different foods in small amounts during the first year is correct. We're right about lots of other things, as a matter of fact. If you want to hear more of my brilliant science-based advice, go back and listen to other episodes and share with your friends and ask them to rate and review the show. Thank you to Dr. Stephanie Leonard for sharing her experience and her expertise. She's a brilliant, caring researcher, and she's empathetic because she lives with a food allergy herself. Plus, she's a mom, so she gets this. You can find her online through the link in the show notes. For more from the pediatrician next door, find me on the web at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com. If you've got a question about the weird things kids do, send an email to hello at pediatriciannextdoorpodcast.com for a chance to hear your voice on the show. I'm Dr. Wendy Hunter, and I'm the pediatrician next door. This show is produced by Red Rock Music. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever it is you're listening. I'll be back next time with more.